Imagine if medicine actually looked at you as a whole, opposed to looking at you as a bunch of separate systems. Dive into Integrative Wellness Radio with Dr. Nick and Dr. Nicole to learn more about the top trends in integrative medicine, to learn about what the limitations are with testing and what you can do to start your health journey. Hi, everyone. I am Dr. Nicole. So today we are actually talking about how mold affects male hormones, testosterone being the specific one that we're touching on. But in addition to that, we have a special little treat of having a wonderful addition. And we have Gina here, who is actually my personal mold inspector uh, that works very, very closely with Integrated Wellness Group. So we're actually going to have the opportunity to pick her brain a little bit about where mold is hiding in our homes, the difference between the tests that exist, and also some of these simple tools that we can use to potentially even clean it up in our homes. So we're gonna have her on in just a minute, but as uh, we get rolling, I really wanted to talk about uh, specifically how mold affects all different aspects of the body. And today, I really wanted to dive in to have uh, men understand a little bit more about testosterone and how it can be affected by mold. Because when we're dealing with a testosterone issue, a lot of times this goes asymptomatic until men start to either lose their muscle mass or they have a low libido or even are dealing with erectile dysfunction. And then they're getting told that they have a low testosterone and then they are just getting simply put on injections. And sometimes these injections are going to give them benefit while they're doing it. But as soon as they stop the injections, their testosterone plummets back down to a very low level. So it's really understanding about the root cause and how we can actually resolve it um, once and for all by really fixing the foundational problem. So first and foremost, you will learn this from myself and also as we bring Gina on, is that it is not your fault. It is not your fault that you don't know there's mold in your house. It's not your fault that you have no idea that this was linked to testosterone issues. It's not your fault that maybe your marriage is now compromised because you have had you know, an inadequate sex life because you have erectile dysfunction or testosterone decline. It's not your fault. It's impossible to not know these things because you need to leverage better testing. And unfortunately, most of conventional medicine is not using better testing. And if anything, they're actually looking down upon it, saying that it's not real medicine. So you don't know what you don't know, and it's not your fault that you haven't been able to get yourself on track because it's a lot of information and it's understanding that what you need is very different than someone else. It doesn't matter if you both have mold toxicity, your needs of how to work with that and, and resolve it is going to be very different from somebody else who technically has the same diagnosis. So it's all about strategy and it's all about knowing your body's needs. So before we bring on Gina, one of the foundational pieces that you need to know about the whole premise of why we do what we do is that my personal opinion is that the biggest detriment in medicine right now is specialties and subspecialties. And some of you might be disappointed when I said that I am not sitting here telling you I'm the mold expert. I know a lot about mold and I successfully work with people to get rid of mold. But the thing is, is that when we're always seeking out the expert or the specialist, 
this is what gets us in trouble because we are assuming that mold is only the only part of the puzzle or we're assuming that our gut is working independently from our brain and our brain is working independently from our heart and at the end of the day every single thing is working together and you could easily have a variety of different types of infections or toxicities that are all compiling together and causing you to be symptomatic and this is really basic physiology at the end of the day when we sit here and talk about, you know, somebody who's suffering with irritable bowel syndrome and someone who's also dealing with depression, but maybe the irritable bowel is not bad enough to be treated or to be medicated for, but, you know, we go on an antidepressant to deal with the depression, 90 to 95% of your serotonin is actually made in your gastrointestinal system. So if we're dealing with an unmanaged gut issue and trying to palliate depression, we're going to hit plateaus and we're going to hit roadblocks because this is physiology. It's about everything being connected and understanding how to best work with a patient because everything is connected. So the other big thing too is that the specialties, subspecialties, seeking out the experts is usually what doesn't always allow us to understand the root cause which then gets us into trouble in this idea that one pill is going to fix all of our problems. And honestly, this comes back to mold as well because there are mold protocols out there that are pretty much saying, just take this one binder like cholestyramine and it's gonna fix all of your problems. I've worked with those patients that have been there, done that, and they still ended up through my doors because they didn't get better. So overall, again, is mold truly the root cause? Or is it something else or is it a collaboration of different things? So some of the big things when it comes to how we are being exposed to mold. So water damaged buildings is definitely one which Gina is gonna elaborate a lot further on. But also there is a lot of exposures that we get from food. We have oats, gluten, wheat, grains, nuts, seeds, wine, cheese, and coffee. All of our favorite foods are some of the foods that are exposing us to different types of mycotoxins. So it's very, very important to know that this is not necessarily always just about the exposures from the environment, but this can very much be due to the things that you're eating on a day-to-day -day basis. Oh, one I forgot, peanut butter and peanuts. Uh, peanut butter and peanuts is one of the highest mold foods that's out there and very much can contribute to mold that actually gets into the gastrointestinal system and causes a lot of bloating, gas, as well as candida issues. I'm saying it in quotes because it's not always really just candida. It can also be mold. Another big one is antibiotics. So uh, when people come in and they say, oh, absolutely not. I've never been exposed to mold. Not even possible. I've always lived in new houses, etc." And I'll ask them, do you have an allergy to penicillin? And they'll say, oh yeah, I've had an allergy to penicillin since I was five. And I was like, well, you've been moldy since you're five. <laughs> and they usually look at me with you know, a funny face. And uh, when you're dealing with these antibiotics, penicillin, amoxicillin, ampicillin, all of these antibiotics are made from penicillium mold. So you can easily have a mold toxicity from overuse of antibiotics, especially if you come from the era that they were using a lot of penicillin. So these are definitely some of the major, major exposures that we get. The interesting thing too about mold is that it looks many different ways, it has many different faces. It can cause everything from pain to inflammation, sinus issues, respiratory issues, 
testosterone decline, brain fog, gut issues, and the list goes on. So if you're sitting here and you're thinking like, well, you know, I don't really think mold is part of my puzzle. It has many faces. You could easily be the person who has eczema or hives, and the root cause of that is actually mold toxicity. So an interesting case that we had was in relation to a male patient. Uh, he came into us, he had a lot of joint pain, brain fog, and low testosterone levels that he was actually being treated for through testosterone injections. And he was that same story of he was doing the injections, he came off of them, and his testosterone plummeted back down. So this patient was very interesting because not only was he actually dealing with a very significant mold issue, but he was also dealing with Lyme disease. And he had two pieces to his testosterone decline here, is that the mold that he was dealing with was actually coming from his job, but it was also coming from the massive amounts of antibiotics that he was given for Lyme disease. So he had a lot of this mold overgrowth that was in his lymphatic system. And when we were starting to talk through his consultation, he stated that he had a lot of bumps in his groin, which was actually reflective of congested lymph nodes in his groin. So not only was he dealing with a lot of lymphatic and immune system congestion that was affecting the reproductive organs, but in addition to that, he also had suppression of his pituitary gland in his brain because the fungus was actually all throughout his sinuses and it was starting to create a lot of inflammation in his neurological system. So testosterone can definitely be stress on the actual reproductive organs. So uh, when it comes to mold and talking all about mold and how we can get exposed, and then how can we actually do better testing? So number one is when it comes to testing for the body, you can go a lot of different ways, but really at the end of the day, one of the best labs right now is actually real-time labs. And this is a lab that both Gina and I are using for different reasons. I'm using it primarily to get testing on the body because they offer something called a urinary mycotoxin test. So as we can test the urine, we can actually figure out if somebody has mycotoxins that are negatively impacting their health. And Gina has been using, uh, and she was the one who introduced me to the environmental mycotoxin test, which is something that I'm gonna allow her to elaborate further on. So Gina, why don't you introduce yourself? Sure. Gina Deemer, and I am the principal owner of Environmental Health Consultants, which was started three years ago out of a need for going into people's homes to help them determine if their home is potentially the cause or a contributing factor to their, their health. Yes. And Gina's a nurse, and uh, she had a lot of scenarios that got her exposed. You got her exposed to mold and it, it piqued her interest and she realized this is a big problem. I worked in people's homes uh, instead of the hospital. I used to work in the hospital, then I worked as a hospice nurse and an um, immune globulin uh, therapy nurse for people with autoimmune diseases. And I came across a young boy in 2013 with mold toxicity as his diagnosis and I was fascinated by it. And from then on, I just started to learn about 
mold and how it contributes to health and started to yeah. apply it. Well, and I think that's been something that really, um, you know, allowed our relationship to flourish is that you were able to come in and say, you know, I know how this is negatively impacting the body. And then we were able to use you as an amazing resource for someone who's truly understanding how this affects people's lives and affects people's health and being able to know what you're looking for in the house because Gina was able to know, you know, what strains of mold are and what are they doing in the body and how are they negatively affecting someone. So I think that that's just so significant as you're walking in, you kind of already know what you're looking for because we're collaborating on the case together saying, Hey, these are the major symptoms of the person. So with that being said, um, I, one of the things that I want to, you know, clarify is that I always say mold's not visible. If you knew it was there, you would probably you do something it, yeah, about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, so Gina, you've been in so many people's homes at this point. So where is the mold hiding? What, what are you seeing the most? Uh, we're seeing it hiding in the heating and air conditioning systems, uh, whether those heating and air conditioning systems are housed in your attic or in the basement mm -hmm. uh, or, hiding, or hiding within the systems. Um, it, within ductwork, however, ductwork is made of metal, so mold doesn't grow on metal. However, a lot of ducts, duct systems um, are inside insulated with a material that is a breeding ground for mold to grow. And the reason they insulate ducts inside is for to for noise protection, Got so it. it's not noisy. Uh, however, that can be uh, an issue. A lot of times, HVAC systems, uh, particularly air conditioning systems, are oversized for the home. Mm -hmm. And when you have an oversized system, the system doesn't work properly and cycle on and off appropriately. Mm -hmm. So you end up having more humidity in your house than you should otherwise because mm -hmm. the air conditioning should be doing the job because it's oversized. It ends up not cycling properly and you end mm -hmm. up with, with mold within the system. Uh, also behind walls, mm -hmm. uh, that's very common, um, that you obviously can't see, but it's there. It's, mm -hmm. you know, behind sheetrock. It could be under wood floors. Mm -hmm. Uh, it could be behind anything. And we have tools that help us to gauge whether or not there is something happening. Mm -hmm. uh, and one of the main gauges or the main things that we do is baseline testing. And mm -hmm. that baseline testing is mycotoxin uh, testing. It's a, like uh, Dr. Nicole had said that she uses the urine mycotoxin test for her mm -hmm. patients. We use as a baseline test uh, for our clients is a dust collection sample from their vacuum cleaner, not their mm -hmm. cleaning services vacuum cleaner, from their vacuum cleaner. Uh, and that will tell us, are there mycotoxins being produced in your home mm -hmm. presently? Um, and if so, that means there's water damage mold somewhere in your house. And then our job is to kind of find that. Mm -hmm. um, there is, you know, we had talked about the ERMI. Yeah, so I want to touch on that because some of you that are listening are probably here because you maybe suspect mold, you've read about it, you're trying to understand more about it. And I know one of the personal um, questions that I get a lot is in relation to the ERMI test or really just how the heck do I test my home or why did I get an air sample uh, or why did I get a mold or, or an air sample or even a home inspection and they told me everything is normal. 
So I definitely want you to elaborate further on that. But even when we were just talking before, you were saying how mycotoxins are present in the home when it's an active mold problem. And that was like the big difference between testing that versus the ERMI. So I'll let you elaborate more okay. on that. So, so mycotoxins are only produced when there's active mold in the house. And, um, and that's what's harmful to your health. So mycotoxins are the byproduct of mold spores. So if my hand is a piece of sheetrock and there's water on it, based on how much water's on it, will determine which molds are going to grow. The more water activity present, the worse the mold is. Um, black mold is the last mold that shows up. That's when it, I'm almost I'm 90% saturated. Black mold shows up. So as the molds are growing and eating the food, because as we know, molds don't produce their own food, that sheetrock is their food source. And if there's aspergillus and penicillium mold here and then black mold starts to come in or whatever other molds come in, the aspergillus penicillium says, listen, get out of here. This is my food and they're territorial. So they like they off gas to say, get away from here. This is my food. And that off gassing is the mycotoxin. So if we're picking up mycotoxins in your home, it means there's an active problem. Yeah. Mycotoxins really aren't just hanging around, hang around. They're only produced if mold is actively seeking food. Well, and I don't know your opinion on this, but from my understanding from many of my mentors and research is that the Wi-Fi and all the radiation is a catalyst for this growth. So the experiment that I'm familiar with is that they had a petri di two different petri dishes of mold. Mm -hmm. One of them they isolated from all of the, you know, Wi-Fi, Bluetooth, all the wireless radiation. And then the other petri dish they put in the regular environment, which I call Wi-Fi soup. And that uh, one in the regular environment actually multiplied by 600% yeah. in a week. I know about that as well. Um, and I'm not an expert on EMFs or electric magnetic fields, mm -hmm. but if it's any indication that you're you're hearing and seeing on the news that schools are closing, schools are closing, libraries, whatever it is, um, they have a lot of mold in them, and they yeah. have a lot of Wi-Fi. So that now they do sort of yeah. some uh, some correlation there. A hundred percent. And one of the things that I really want you to touch on, um, because I think that. You know, our philosophies are so similar um, as we were talking is Gina has a really, really unique uh, technology that she uses to get a baseline of information when she comes into people's homes. And, you know, one of the biggest reasons why we do such specialized testing nowadays is because we were trying to figure out ways to save people money up front. Because when you get into doing stool samples, nasal swabs, you know, urinary tests, neurotransmitter tests, it gets very pricey. So we've worked really hard on kind of really establishing some amazing and advanced medical technologies to slim down that price so that we can obviously allow people to spend money on the important stuff, which is getting better. And I know she shares such a similar principle with this amazing technology she's introduced into her practice. So I'll let you talk more sure. about that. So, um, in, I don't know how many people have had indoor air quality assessments or not. Uh, they're not common. They seem to be a luxury for the rich and a necessity for the sick. Um, but traditionally, when you go to somebody's home, you, there's only so many sample type, sample types you can take. You can take air samples 
or you can take bulk samples. And what I mean by bulk samples, you can take a swab and swab an area that you're concerned about. You can take a piece of sheetrock, that's your bulk sample. Uh, you can take a dust collection sample, that's a bulk sample, or there's air. So those are really the, the only samples that you're taking. Air samples traditionally are small cassettes, uh, about the size, little, about the size of a half dollar, and they go onto a pump and they run for about five minutes and they pull in 15 liters of air per minute. And they only do a, a particular area, say, you know, a room. You can't do this room and the room across the way. You have to do individual samples. So if you have a room, a house with 10 rooms in it, if you want to know what the air is in every room in that house, it's going to cost you any, you know, samples can run anywhere from 75 to $150. That's yeah. usually the ballpark. So if you do 10 rooms at $100, that's $1,000. Uh, however, assessors don't test every room in your house because it's going to cost you a lot of money on top of the base, yeah. the base fee and the well, other samples. I think that's what can allow people to then sometimes get results and say mold is not part of the problem, and it is. So, so yeah, I mean, you're traditionally when you go into somebody's house, you're looking at who's sick, who isn't, where does the family spend most of their time, uh, are there any concerns in this room or that room? That helps you determine which rooms you're going to sample in. So about two years ago, I decided that it would be best if I knew, or if we knew, environmental health consultants, if we knew the air in your entire house and doing it at a fraction of the cost of 10 air samples. So we use this technology. It's a, it's a pretty big piece of, um, it's a big piece of, uh, it's a big machine and it's 65 pounds. So it's not necessarily conducive to every house. After we fill out our intake form, mm -hmm. we can determine, are we going to use it or aren't we going to use it? If we're doing a four-story townhouse in Brooklyn, mm -hmm. we're probably not going to take it because it's 65 pounds. But for the most part, 75% of the jobs we can bring it into. And we can test the entire air in your house in real time. Traditionally, samples take, you have to send them to a, to a lab. Mm -hmm. These um, This type of air sampling allows us to tell you instantly are there spores in your home or aren't there? It doesn't tell us the type of spores. It just tells us if there's an elevation of spores. Isn't there also, it has the feature to look at VOCs as well? Uh, not VOCs, but it looks at um, particulate matter, 10 microns mm -hmm. uh, and below, uh, 2.5 microns and below. Mm -hmm. uh, and just to give you a little background on that, a micron is the diameter of something. So if you take a piece of your hair, and the diameter of your hair, the you know, end follicle of your hair, is 90 microns. Mm -hmm. So 10 microns, obviously, is a lot smaller. Yeah, yeah. Not so visible to, to the naked eye. But it's dust, dander. You know, when you take a blanket and you yeah. shake it in sunlight, that's all PM10, particle matter 10 microns and below. Mm -hmm. it'll, tell, it'll tell us the dirtiest room in your home, <laughs> uh, which is interesting. Um, and then also it tells us uh, PM 2.5, which is is gases um, mm -hmm. such as cooking gas. Mm -hmm. um, we it'll tell you if there's a plumbing gas leak if you're okay. in, in you know in the area, um, and it'll show up as 2.5 as an elevation. Mm -hmm. um, and it all also, the, all the things that we're not necessarily thinking about or looking for. No, <laughs> exactly. Um, it helped us pick up a plumbing leak. 
in somebody's home um, that was coming from their island faucet, their island sink mm -hmm. in the kitchen. It didn't have a proper vent on it. So we picked up on uh, mm -hmm. PM 2.5 elevation in the entire house and it was a uh, pretty significant. So that was very helpful. But also one of the things we use it for, um, and it's not traditionally used for this, it's mainly used for the air, but we can test content with it. So we can test your carpet, we can test your your furniture, stuffed animals, clothing, uh, and that's always really helpful for people. And we, we find uh, in our practice that majority, you know, what happens is if there's mold in your home and it's coming through your duct system, it's airborne initially, but it attaches to dust particles mm -hmm. and it settles. So yep. the dirtiest place in somebody's home is their floor, yep. whether it's carpet or, you know, if it's not carpet, then you're cleaning it regularly. But if it's carpet, the stuff's living in there for, for a long time. Yeah. You know? Well, and also too, I know one of the things that I brought up on the last webinar was you know, when you, when you have a mold problem, you obviously have to weigh out, you know, is this some, like, is this something that you have to bring in a team to help you with? You know, do you actually need a full remediation? Do you need the assistance of someone like Gina? Do you need your HVAC system cleaned out? And then there's obviously smaller problems that sometimes we can actually clean up ourselves. And, um, but I was talking to Gina prior to getting started today. And um, I wanted her to share just a little bit about um, the products that are good helpful, for sure. helping to eradicate some of the molds out safely. Sure. And I'm bringing this up because um, many people think bleach is a great option, and it is not. And I've actually had a young woman who put herself in the hospital by dumping bleach on black mold in her basement. So please don't do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, we when we always thought bleach worked. I mean, it works mm -hmm. for everything, but bleach is what ninety percent water, and what does mold need to grow? Water. Yeah. So bleach just doesn't work. Uh, but there's a there's a company that I like uh, called EC3 Edward Charlie Three EC3, and they have a really nice product line. They have a a laundry additive that you can add to your laundry. And a side note on that too is that. When it comes to the laundry, because when you're talking about mold in people's homes, if it's bad enough, you know, there are things you can wash. Like if you found mold in the basement where maybe you put all your summer clothes, like you can take those clothes out and, and wash them properly. But if you have like a cloth recliner chair in the basement next to mold, you probably have to get yeah, rid of that. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, you can HEPA vacuum with a high-end HEPA vacuum cleaner, but then you're going to want to test it afterwards. Yeah. We can come in and, and certainly test the, the content. But, you know, it, it's always best to refrain from having carpet in your home unless it's, you know, you take, you, you know, you get it clean regularly. There isn't any mold in your home or there hasn't been any mold in your home and there won't be any mold in your home but mm -hmm. you want to keep up on you know using things that are as non-porous as possible yeah you know um and also we find in a lot of people's homes content in in children's rooms is a lot of stuffed animals mm -hmm. and we find a lot of mold spores on these animals for for obvious reasons you know just because it's <laughs> you don't let your yeah, kids chew yeah. on them <laughs> um, you know and you can always wash stuff like that in the ec3 products then mm -hmm. there's also something that um i really like it's a fogger mm -hmm. and you can buy a fogger anywhere 
Uh, also, EC3 products sells the fogger along with the solution. But if you have a fogger or you can get one cheaper somewhere else, buy a fogger and buy this solution and it, you put it in the fogger and you can mist mm -hmm. all the stuff in your house. Uh, we had a client um, about a year and a half ago who had significant mold uh, in their home. And after the remediation was done and we went back in to do the testing, I remember initially that the the content was very elevated and mm -hmm. the the uh, woman of the home took uh, amazing uh, care in very diligent about taking care of everything yeah. after the fact mm -hmm. and she washed everything and EC3 products I believe she used but she used this fogger for mm -hmm. all her clothes and when we went back with the instascope I think we found two spores in the whole house oh, that's it, awesome. was, it was really uh, she was she was very good at what she did. So it's, it's definitely helpful. And we don't think about, you know, a lot of times if we come home mm -hmm. and we're wearing the same clothes, yep. you know, we could, if we were doing the, you know, the testing in your home, we could test your clothes and they may come up elevated, but you may not have any mold in your house and it could very well just be coming from your home. Yeah. And I think that's an important point for you guys too, is that there are many times that I've worked with uh, clients and the mold was not in their home. It was actually at their workplace. So it's definitely important to not ignore that. And it's also important to, you know, uh, one of the questions that I ask my clients all the time is, you know, is a, are a lot of people at your job complaining? Are they sick? Do they have sinus issues? Are they saying they have headaches? You know, are they sneezing? And so those are things to look for. If everybody has those types of complaints in your office, there might be a bigger problem there. So what I would do with that, I would um, I would do a baseline test of your home. Not me personally, unless you hired us to come out, but you can do a baseline mm -hmm. test of your home. A real-time lab, which uh, was mentioned earlier, uh, about a year and a half ago, two years ago, they made the environmental kit kit, kit available mm -hmm. to consumers. So um, all you do is you go to the Real Time Lab website, and it's on there somewhere. It's under environmental, uh, and you can order the environmental kit from them. They'll send it to you. You don't pay for them to send it to you. You only pay when you return it. And I think it's about $300 for, yeah. for them and to. That's going to specifically test for mycotoxins, which are, again, the ones that are toxic to us and to our health. So this is something that if you have no idea where the mold is, you can actually take your vacuum through your home, swab the vacuum filter, send that out, and then that will give you an understanding if there is mold in your home. But again, if you've been on the whole time, um, if that comes back clean, then the mold exposure or the mold affecting your health can easily be from past use of antibiotics, and it can also be food exposures as well. The food exposures, I think, are very overlooked, and people do not realize how abundant this is in our food. Um, one of the stories that I told last week was in relation to when I was in France, and when I was in France, um, there was a segment about uh, Agritech. So it was how they were using artificial intelligence in the vineyards. So primarily they had these drones that hovered over uh, the vineyards and they would snapshot different uh, images of the vines in order to monitor for, for mold, for fungus. And as soon as they found a uh, fungal invasion, they went in and ripped out that vine so it didn't spread. So this really brought it to my awareness of how big of a problem this really is. And it's affecting wine and it's also um, affecting a variety of other crops as well.
So yes, mold can be inside of you. And it's more so um, mold, ha mold is water and fat soluble. So it can really go wherever it wants in the body. It can get into joints. It can get into connective tissue. It can get into your gastrointestinal system. And it can even get into your bloodstream as well. So mold is definitely something that has a tendency to um, have a myriad of different symptoms. It's not one thing by any means. Yeah, for sure. So that's usually where it gets the most confusing. But um, I want to start talking about testosterone and how mold affects that. So Gina, if you want to tell everyone where they can find you, um, oh, that sure. would be amazing. Um, the website is www.ehconsults.com, short for Environmental Health Consultants, ehconsults with an S, uh, .com. And you can always, I think there's the email on there, info at ehconsults.com. You can reach me there if you have any questions. And if you do end up deciding to, to uh, do a baseline test of your home, which I would recommend, contact us and we'll, we'll have real-time labs send it out to you. And then we'll send you a sheet that will tell you how to fill out the chain of custody form, how to go about taking your collection. We'll walk you through it and that'll be helpful for you. And if you have any questions, when the results come back, you can always let us know. Yeah. We can help you in any way. Yeah, no, we thank Thanks you so much, of course. Yeah, thank you. So we hope the information was really valuable for you guys because I know that navigating this whole, you know, checking your home and knowing where to turn and being able to get good quality information has been a struggle for some of the patients that I've worked with that have gone through that before coming to our practice. So I thought it was really important to have Gina be part of this this month. But um, as we get back in, I really want to have you guys understand a little bit more about you know, how mold is potentially causing a lot of issues with um, testosterone levels. But when I initially was putting together this um, presentation, you know, a big thing that I wanted to talk about was more so in relation to how the mold can uh, cause low testosterone. But in reality, if the mold is affecting your neurological system or affecting your reproductive system, you can actually see a decline in testosterone. But if mold is actually affecting your gastrointestinal system, which then starts to throw off your pancreatic blood sugar functioning, you can actually start to see issues on the flip side of having an elevation in your estrogen levels as well. So when it comes down to testosterone being affected and really dealing with hormonal imbalance in men is you can have the low testosterone, but you can also have this elevation in your estrogen, which compromises your testosterone levels as well. So first and foremost, like what is low testosterone or testosterone issues even look like? So number one is it's going to be low libido, fluctuation in mood. It actually really, really affects your brain function and your mood, memory, focus, loss of muscle mass, having random sweating attacks, and then at its peak is erectile dysfunction. So a couple of things to understand is that testosterone is going to be controlled by your adrenals as well as your pituitary function. So when we're talking about adrenals, adrenals can easily be affected by stress, not sleeping, burning the candle at both ends. I say that because 
so many people, especially in the New Jersey, New York area, they're just like, oh yeah, well, I, I can handle stress. Like, this is just my life. I just like, you know, I just power through. Uh, at the end of the day, your adrenals don't know the difference of you powering through and being burnt out, just so you know. But secondary to that is your testosterone is also controlled by your pituitary function. And when we are talking about how mold can affect the body is it can actually really compromise how well you are getting proper blood flow to your brain and neurological system. And if that starts to happen, that can actually cause your pituitary to function, not function optimally, which can then start to compromise your testosterone production. And then in addition to that, your testosterone is very, very affected by blood sugar. And with your blood sugar, this goes back to what I mentioned, if mold starts to actually affect your gastrointestinal system, which then starts to affect your pancreas, because technically your pancreas is part of your gastrointestinal system. So this is very, very much correlated because as the blood sugar becomes imbalanced, it starts to compromise the frontal lobe of the brain. And the frontal lobe is where you have most of your testosterone receptors. So you can easily start to have a lot of issues with how well your testosterone is being regulated when your blood sugar is out of range. And then in addition to that is testosterone is affected by circulation. So this goes back to what I said about circulation to the pituitary gland, but it's also circulation to the actual uh, testicles and, and gonads. If you are not getting proper blood flow to those areas because mold is affecting your um, lymph nodes in your groin, or you have a hernia, or you have scar tissue from some type of surgery, that is also going to cause a lot of problems with how well your testosterone can be produced. So as I mentioned, when we are talking about testosterone, there's such a trickle down effect that happens because if you start to have mold that is compromising your testosterone production, or it's actually compromising your um, blood sugar, so you start to have blood sugar issues, which then compromises how well the testosterone receptors on your frontal lobe are working. So if you start to have testosterone decline because of this, you will then also start to have acetylcholine decline, which is all about memory and learning. So at its complete extreme and peak, is testosterone can actually be linked to dopamine levels and your acetylcholine levels, which can then lead you down a road of Parkinson's. So if you are someone who has gone and gotten your testosterone checked and they're like, oh, it's low, and you are starting to notice that you are very foggy and that your memory is not good as it used to be, and maybe even your long-term memory is being compromised, you really need to figure out, is mold part of this puzzle? Is blood sugar part of this puzzle or is it both? Because a decline in your testosterone is a sign that you are potentially going to have different imbalances in your neurological system, which at its extreme can lead you down a road of developing Parkinson's or even Alzheimer's. So this is no joke, guys. You can't just sit here and say, oh, testosterone, you know, it's all about muscle mass or it's all about, you know, having a high libido. There is a big, big neurological connection here. 
So when we're talking about testosterone fluctuations, again, we're talking about if your insulin is not being produced properly and you start to have this really, really wacky blood sugar. By the way, wacky blood sugar is the person that wakes up in the morning and they're not hungry or they can't really think. So they have to drink their coffee in the morning so they can like their brain can work. Those are blood sugar issues. We're not talking diabetes, pre-diabetes. We're talking about even low blood sugar. Because if your blood sugar is low, as soon as you eat, you spike and crash. And you're on a blood sugar roller coaster all day long. The longer that goes on, the more you will start to have a decrease in your testosterone. But you're also going to have an upregulation of your estrogen. So what does that mean for you men? Man boobs. That's what it means. Also known as gynecomastia. In addition to that, you can also start to notice that men, their body shape is looking more like a female. They're starting to have fatty deposits in their abdomen. They're having fatty deposits in their hips and they're developing this like pear shape. Because if you're developing that type of shape, this is definitely a major sign that you have blood sugar issues. It is also a sign that you are having a decrease in, or I'm sorry, decrease in testosterone and an elevation in your estrogen levels. Don't get me wrong. When you're talking about estrogen, you can easily have influence from things you're eating. There are many, many foods that are in our diet that can upregulate estrogen levels, especially our non-organic, non-grass-fed meats. So, and also dairy as well. When we're not eating necessarily the clean, non-hormone treated foods, we're definitely getting exposed to excess estrogen through our diet. It's not just about soy, guys. It's definitely about animal protein as well. So the other big one has to do with uh, mold affecting the brain. Yes, mold can affect the brain. You can actually get fungal invasion of the brain. They actually just came out with research that they've been working on for many, many years through Fry Labs, F-R-Y. They just presented it at the brain conference that I was at earlier this year. And what they found is that um, they actually did research with 500 multiple sclerosis patients, MS patients. And in every single patient, they had fungal invasion of their neurological system. And the on the flip side, the people that actually, they did two studies. The other study was for ALS, Lou Gehrig's disease. And what they actually found is that all of those patients had algae invasion of their neurological system. So this is not uncommon. This is not woo-woo. This is not, you know, some random, you know, bogus study. Like this is a real thing. And fungus is something that we are being exposed consistently. Like I said before, we're being exposed through antibiotics. We're being exposed through mold in water damaged buildings. And we are also being exposed by the foods that we eat, like the wine, the cheese, the coffee, um, the, the wheat, all of the grains, the peanut butter. So this is a big deal, guys. And if you are having a lot of issues neurologically, maybe you have memory issues, maybe you're having constant headaches, maybe you have terrible brain fog, this is a sign that something is affecting your neurological system. I'm not going to sit here and say that every person that has brain fog has mold issues. That's definitely not um, accurate because there could be a lot of things going on. But if you're having tons of neurological issues, in addition 
to having testosterone decline, it's time to get checked for mold to figure out, is this part of your puzzle? So this is just digging into a little bit more about this estrogen uh, connection. So again, um, the big pathway that is going to be affected is aromatase. So um, the big thing about it that I wanted to make sure that you're aware of is that if you are a male that is dealing with uh, an est or I'm sorry, a testosterone issue, and you are getting tested and they're like, oh, you have a testosterone issue, but this pathway is compromised, this aromatase pathway, what's gonna happen is you're gonna get testosterone replacement and all of that is actually going to convert into excess estrogen. So what happens is, is that you're taking testosterone and you are now starting to develop that pear shape and those fatty deposits in the hips, belly, etc. So you have to definitely make sure that you know what is the big picture in your body, opposed to thinking that you just need testosterone replacement because you can start causing a lot more issues. And also too, for those of you that are listening that have potentially used you know, some type of testosterone replacement for bodybuilding in the past, and now you feel like you have really abnormal um, muscle tone, and you also feel like it's very difficult for you to get, you know, your get your muscles back to where they used to be or tone your muscles, you potentially are dealing with this pathway being compromised. So this pathway can definitely be corrected, but you have to figure out where is the kink in the chain. And there's lots of ways that you can test for where those kinks are. Um, definitely a tip is that you can start to improve um, these pathways by uh, consuming cruciferous vegetables. There is a supplement called Cruciferous Complete and then also grapefruit seed extract. Those are definitely some really good tools to start correcting this as well. Um, so this is kind of piggybacking off of what we've talked about already, but I think that this is important to understand how testosterone issues can translate into day-to-day -day behaviors. So when we're talking about testosterone starting to impact your dopamine, so low testosterone means you have low dopamine. So low dopamine can start as having issues with your memory. Short-term memory, I should rephrase. As that progresses, you will have issues with your long-term memory. You also might find that you have a lot of impulsive daredevil behaviors. You like to speed, you like to gamble, you like to bungee jump, you like to do extreme sports. You might even have a tendency for uh, violent behaviors. You might also have a tendency to cheat on your spouse or significant other. These are all signs of dopamine being um, compromised, which can definitely stem from your testosterone declining from the mold exposure. So there is a lot of different manifestations because unless you have erectile dysfunction or you're having really, really abnormal changes in your muscle, most men don't know they have testosterone decline. But if you start to see the bigger picture behind testosterone being connected to dopamine, you might be like, oh my gosh, I definitely feel like my memory isn't good, or I definitely feel that I'm having trouble with concentration, or I'm definitely finding myself, you know, having these daredevil compulsive gambling behaviors. These are all signs that the testosterone is now impacting your dopamine levels. 
So again, testosterone as has a big, big connection to dopamine and also learning. So you can find that you're snapping easily. You also can, and this is actually why they call, um, when people are on steroids, they say that they have roid rage is because the steroids will start to compromise these pathways. So you can have an e uh, or easily triggered temper. You can definitely find yourself, you know, like resorting to violence and things like that. So again, there is a way bigger picture behind testosterone and how it is negatively impacting your neurological system when it is declined. So some of the other things that can expose us on a day-to-day to, -day to um, these different hormones that can affect our testosterone levels is the estrogen. So like I said before, is that there are a lot of estrogens that we get exposed to through our, our diet. So one is mycoestrogens. One of the primary mycoestrogens is called xerolenin, which is actually on corn. So if you're the person who just went gluten-free and you're eating tons of corn chips and tortillas and everything else, you need to also be cautious with consuming that because this is the primary crop that there is mycoestrogens. Myco is, think of mold and fungus. And these are molds that uh, actually will negatively impact your estrogens by raising them which will then decrease your testosterone levels. So there are many ways that we can start to compromise our testosterone pathways, and it's not just necessarily about mold in our environment, but it also can be these molds that are on our foods as well. So Gina's still hanging with me, and I don't know if you know this, but um, one of the things that constantly comes up is when I have a family dynamic, and I have um, the woman comes in, the wife, the mom, etc., and she is sick, and we find out that mold is part of her puzzle. And then what happens is the husband says, there's no possible way there's mold in our house. I'm not going to pay to get it tested because I feel fine. I have no symptoms. So there is an actual reason for this. And I remember thinking in the beginning, maybe it's because men ignore their symptoms, but I realized that that is not true and not necessarily scientific. <laughs> but it actually has to do with blood volume. So um, men, or I should say females and children have a lower blood volume compared to men. And in addition, females have lower oxygen bearing red blood cells, and they also have lower iron levels because of uh, menstruation. So all of those components are actually playing a very significant role in why women and children tend to be more symptomatic when they are being exposed to mold. So men will easily go and fly under the radar because again, if you have the early stages of low testosterone, you don't really know. You don't have very specific symptoms until it's low enough that you might have erectile dysfunction. Um, and now you know all of the mood changes that you can also see in relation to low testosterone. But women will definitely have more symptoms and they can have symptoms that resemble rheumatoid arthritis, they can have bad headaches, they can have their own hormonal issues, they can have gut issues. Um, really, the list goes on with how mold can affect you. But just because um, the male figure of the family is not symptomatic does not rule out um, mold being in your home. So um, speaking of erectile dysfunction, um, we had a 50-year-old male, um, he came in with erectile dysfunction uh, kind of kicking and screaming because his wife dragged him in. 
but um, he did have a past use of steroids uh, from weight training. He was, you know, this was a long time ago in his 20s. Um, he had a pretty poor diet, uh, lots of sugar, lots of carbohydrates in his diet, um, which was a pretty big extreme because back in the day when he was, you know, weight training and bodybuilding, he was on the, you know, grilled chicken and broccoli, like no oil, no butter, nothing, like very, very different type of diet. So, you know, it was a pretty, pretty big extreme from then to now. But in addition to that, he also had a lot of antibiotics for Lyme disease treatment that he had, I think, in his 30s. So when we were really talking and getting into it, um, what really happened is that we, we started to piece the puzzle together. And a big thing was is that Lyme and mold were still part um, of his puzzle affecting his body in a negative way. So the mold actually ended up being partly an environmental exposure from a job that he had for about 20 years. But in addition, he also had mold that was from a lot of the antibiotics from the Lyme disease. But the biggest thing that we were seeing is that the mold, a lot of these penicillium strains were compromising his liver, his gut, and his lymph. So for those of you that have been listening is that the liver, the gut, and lymph, those are the major filters of your body. The liver filters out um, most of your toxins that get into your system. It filters them out through your gut by eliminating things through a bowel movement. And then your lymph is one of, well, it's, it's your immune system. And it's also a major filter of literally your entire body. It helps to assist in the filtration of your blood as well as your neurological system. So if you have issues with your liver, your gut, and your lymph, then pretty much the only pathway that's left that's potentially still working is your kidneys. So that's a lot of burden for your kidneys to have to deal with, you know, being the major pathway to filter all the bad stuff out. So in addition to that, he was also dealing with a lot of blood sugar issues, and this was partly due to poor diet. So the blood sugar instability was then creating a lot of issues in the frontal lobe, which was compromising how well his brain can actually use the testosterone that he was producing. Then on top of it, he also had circulatory issues. So the circulatory issues, especially in the groin area, had to do with all of the lymph node congestion. So if you start poking around in your groin area, a lot of men think, oh, I have a hernia or I have a low-grade hernia. It, a lot of times it's not a hernia and it's actually a boatload of congested lymph nodes. So if you have a lot of congested lymph nodes, you can start to really compromise the blood flow to the reproductive organs. And then when you have a compromised liver, you're not only going to have issues with detoxing, but you're also going to have a lot of issues with getting rid of excess estrogen because we're all being exposed to estrogen through food that we eat. Animals have hormones. So even if you are eating clean, you still will be exposed to some level of hormones. So it's very important that our liver is working to get rid of the excess. So Overall, the biggest thing to understand of how this all comes together is that this was a patient that was dealing with issues in his detoxification pathways. These pathways were compromising how well his body can detox 
It was also compromising how well his blood and circulatory system was working. And then on top of it, his blood sugar issues were compromising how well his body and brain could use testosterone. So this was not one thing. This was a conglomeration of different things that were causing the erectile dysfunction. And I think that this is so important because men are usually being prescribed a quick fix pill. And if you actually fix the root cause, not only will you obviously resolve the erectile dysfunction, but secondary to that, you're going to negate a lot of other symptoms that are going to trail along. Because if you have a compromised liver, gut, lymphatic system, there's going to be other things that are going to pop up. And not only are you going to be dealing with the hormonal issues, but all of a sudden, oh, I'm so foggy. Oh, I'm having mood issues. Oh, I feel depressed. Oh, my stomach is off. Oh, I'm losing muscle tone. And it's literally a snowball effect that starts to happen. So if you haven't figured it out yet, I'm here to tell you, you don't know what you don't know. <laughs> it's impossible for you to know these things without having someone to piece the puzzle together, but also in addition to have better testing. Because most of the time we are looking at something like an erectile dysfunction as just being, oh, you just have erectile dysfunction. We don't really know why it happens. It just happens. So here's your pill to fix it. But at the end of the day, there are many, many things that can be the root cause. So it's really about stop accepting your new normal. Stop blaming it on bad genes. Stop blaming it on being old. It's, there's always a reason for why you're feeling the way that you are. And we have gotten to a place right now that we think that it is normal for our health to deteriorate with age. And obviously we're going to have some ups and downs as we age, but we can't sit here and say that, you know, because I'm aging, I have, you know, this laundry list of different symptoms and now I just have to deal with it because those symptoms are there to tell you that something is wrong and it's to pretty much allow you to be proactive and to do something about it. But unfortunately, nobody nobody's taught us that. Nobody has gave, given us those tools. But that's why I'm here and that's why I'm doing this. <laughs> but also too is that you need to know that not everything looks like the textbook. And this is why doctors more and more often are saying, we don't know. We don't know what caused it. We don't know why this happens. There is no cure and there is, you know, no magical um, remedy for this. And they're saying this because you don't match the textbook. Never. No, I don't even think once my patient has ever truly matched the textbook. So what I started to realize very early on in my practice is if you don't match the textbook, how the heck am I going to treat you as the textbook tells me to treat? So this is really what has allowed me to keep learning and growing and evolving is because I hit roadblocks with my patients and I didn't settle for that. I was like, I have to figure this out because there has to be more to the story. And uh, going through so much training over the past few years, I literally can't even tell you how every single person is so different and we need to move into this realm of personalized medicine and doctors need to leverage better testing because when I have a person who has, you know, a testosterone issue and I have two people, you know, technically their blood work looks similar. When we do further testing, their needs, their supplements, their protocols are completely different based off of what their body needs. So it's very, very fascinating. And you need to know that you need to know what your body needs so that you can stop wasting time and money. So, with that being said, you know, this is what brings me to this point of the old model versus the new. 
Some of you here might be brand spanking new to this world of functional integrative medicine. Some of you don't even know the difference between functional and integrative medicine. So overall, there's obviously conventional medicine. We have conventional medicine, which relies on a lot of chemistry. They look at blood work. That's the most common thing that your doctor is doing. And then if your blood work looks normal, they pretty much disregard your symptoms and say, well, you look healthy. Maybe you're depressed. Maybe you're anxious. Here's a pill. Then there's functional medicine. Functional medicine does a lot more elaborate testing and really has the ability to give you answers and say, hey, I really think that this is the root cause to why you feel the way you do. I had moved away from functional medicine and I've moved into integrative because I was finding that there was a lot of limitations with the toolbox in functional medicine. And what I mean by that is the tools were diet and supplements. And I found that a lot of the people that came to me, been there, done that. They already did a supplement regimen. They already changed their diet. If anything, they were still on the elimination diet. So I needed to figure out the bigger picture. I needed to have more tools to help these people to not just give them a different version of supplements and a different diet. So as I moved into this integrative medicine model, I really wanted to understand how does the neurological system work with the gut? How does the gut work with the kidneys? How, you know, what are the better protocols out there to piece the puzzle together and also to give people changes that last? And I say that because when I was doing more of this diet supplement approach, I was very, very frustrated because I felt like I feel great on my diet. I feel great on my 45 supplements, but as soon as I come off, I don't feel good again. And that wasn't medicine to me. That was a different version of a Band-Aid. So I wanted to figure out a way that we could actually give people answers and give people solutions that were going to allow them to get to a place that it was sustained and it was sustainable. So when we're doing this, you know, we have to spend time. It is so important that we give you the time that you deserve. And we choose to serve you. We choose to be detectives. We choose to ask better questions. All right, guys, I really thank you for being here with me. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you gained so much information from Gina as well. Um, she is one of the very few people with the InstaScope. And also, you know, when you're going through this, the biggest thing is this is all about education. This is all about, you know, walking away empowered and really being able to you know, no, wow, this might be part of my puzzle. But once you are able to get your testing and obviously embark on your own healing journey, that's when this becomes a breakthrough experience. So I really hope that, you know, this was helpful for you. And I really hope that you can access this testing and obviously get um, your health back and be able to resolve the root cause of what you've been struggling with. Uh, so thank you guys again for being here. But if you are looking for any additional information about hormones, testosterone, as well as mold toxicity, check out our website. We have tons of podcasts. So definitely check that out. And I thank you guys for being here and I will see you next week. We thank you for being a listener and subscriber to Integrative Wellness Radio. If you're looking to learn more about Integrative Wellness Group, as well as Dr. Nick or Dr. Nicole, you can check out integrativewellnessgroup.com.